Muppet fans, and welcome to Moving Right Along, a Muppet movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. This is now officially the podcast where we watch the Muppet Christmas Carol two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I am your host, Ryan Rowe. And I am your other host, Anthony Strand, back again, talking about the Muppets with my co-host and friend. It's Ryan Rowe from Austin TX. If it doesn't feel like Christmas yet, it will next. A podcast present coming down from the shelf. I play Charles Dickens and Ryan plays himself. Michael Caine, two-time Oscar winner, paid Bean Bunny to bring us a turkey dinner. No more sleeps until we start this gig. We're going to throw a party just like Fozzie Wig. When love is gone, you'll find some more right here. Every single week, a hit of Christmas cheer. Two minutes at a time, right down to the wire. So throw another shovel full of coal on the fire. We'll have some great guests. We just can't go wrong. It's Muppet Christmas Carol. I'm moving right along. <laughs> wow. <laughs> MC Anthony Strand, everyone. Yeah, that's that's me. That stands for Media Center, which is where I work because I'm a school librarian. That's it. Yeah. The amazing thing is mm-hmm. he just he just made that all up off the top of his head just now. That was freestyle. <laughs> yeah, it was all freestyle. No. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I wrote that like a month ago, and I've been thinking about it ever since. You've just been you've just been waiting, just quivering with excitement to be able to use that. I really, ha- I practiced so many times. Yeah, that, that was great. Yeah. Thanks and I will tell everyone that you, that was one take. You got through the whole thing. I did. <laughs> well, like I said, I've done it so yeah, many times. Very impressive. I don't know. I don't know. Well, and I, I was going to say, I don't know why, but I kind of do know why. And it's because this movie is from 1992. Right. And back in that era of time, a lot of movies inexplicably had rap theme songs over the closing credits. Well, it and was so a, like, thought, like rap had gone mainstream sort of uh, a few years earlier, I guess. I mean, and maybe by mainstream, we just mean that like um, mild mannered white people were starting to embrace it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Such as ourselves. Right. And um, but so I thought it would be fun if our podcast had <laughs> inexplicable rap theme for the start of yeah. the new season. Absolutely. So in the vein of, you mentioned the uh, the Addams Family rap. Right. Well, so the, because the first Addams Family movie has the MC Hammer theme. Oh, Adam's yeah, yeah. Groove. Yeah. Play how they want to play, live how they want to live, do what they want to do, that thing. Um, but but Addams Family Values has a much better one, which is Addams Family <laughs> Womb by Tag Team. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which is one of the greatest things ever made. And like, and that's why it's, that's why I started this with Back Again, right? Because right right of course. M- much like the original whoop, there it is it starts out tag team back again with the adams family right Right, yeah that's great they they so, they really uh made the most of that 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 one i'm sure they had another hit that i don't remember but they really made the most of that one big hit that they had tag team right well it's funny though because whoop, there it is starts out with tag team back again but i don't i don't oh, yeah. know if they <laughs> like, had ever been there back yet, again from where you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, so actually, I was we, we talked about this, and I looked it up, hoping to find that there were like a dozen tag team whoop songs. Uh huh. You know, in the in the vein of like uh, Monster Mash. Yeah, or I kind of thought there were the the, tw- the twist. As far as I can tell, there those are the only two whoops are the really? original song, and and the because if you look on the. On the Wikipedia page for so, Whoop, there it is. One of the subheadings is Adam's Family Values Remix. Oh, okay. So that was it. 
I might yeah. be conflating this with the the Disney Mambo Number Five, but I just a have a little this... bit of Goofy having fun, <laughs> a little bit of Minnie in the sun. Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. one. I just have this image though of tag team doing whoop. There it is at a Disney theme park with the the costume Disney characters. Oh, but maybe that did. was just like that a TV special, and they were just doing the song yeah, they were just without doing changing the, the lyrics. It's not. It's not like whoop. Donald Duck and Friends, there right. it is, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. Because uh, that's because this because like this song literally goes whoop, Adam's family, there yeah. it is. Yeah, during perfect. the chorus. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. It's, and it's and then the other one that, that I was thinking of was uh Turtle Power by Partners in Crime, the rap from the end credits of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Another classic. Turtles movie. And then and then also Ninja Rap by oh, Vanilla yeah. Ice from, from Turtles 2. Yeah. You know? So there was there were like genuinely a lot of Muppet Christmas Carol. Of course, does not have one. No, and it's really too bad that you were you know just a, a little kid at the time, so you couldn't contribute your rap to the movie when it came out. Right. Well, and although I like the idea that this rap that I just wrote that's like mostly about us and <laughs> and calls yeah, Michael Caine. Right, and calls Michael Caine a two-time Oscar winner, which he was only a one-time Oscar winner <laughs> right, when yes. this film came out. But... <clears throat> yes, well, we will get to that as we continue talking about Muppet Christmas Carol. That's right, we're starting a new movie, a new season of this podcast, and we are going to be talking about a Christmas movie for 40-plus weeks. <laughs> I'm so excited. I hope everyone loves Christmas and loves to keep Christmas with them all through the year. Uh, Do you, I, I think you mean that that i hope it feels like christmas yeah every week because that's the one from this movie with that theme it's true yes and if that isn't a true blue miracle i don't know what one is (laughs) so Uh, santa claus knows all about you cookie monster he'll bring you some cookies (laughs) uh this was released in uh, on december 11th 1992 in the u.s it had release dates uh, you know various other release dates in other countries um did you see this in the theaters when it came out i did not Mm. I saw this on VHS for the first time. Okay. So I would have, I was just about to turn eight when this came out. So right. I was certainly in the target audience, but my, my youngest brother was like two and a half, you know? So I think, Oh yeah. He is hard go, to go see going a, to, yeah, as a whole family. Yeah. Go, going to see a movie with the, with the four kids and the two littlest ones right. at that time. Yeah. Kind of an ordeal, you know? Right. Sure. Um, well, I, I saw this in the theater with my family at, at the holidays or shortly before the holidays. Uh, I also remember how I first found out about it, which was an ad in an issue of Disney Adventures magazine. That checks out. No longer exists, but a, 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 like this magazine that made me feel so cool because it was digest sized, but it was for kids. Yeah. But it was like, I'm, I'm a kid, but I'm like, a, I'm a sophisticated big kid because i'm reading this disney adventures magazine a a magazine where the covers routinely featured like here's rick moranis and baloo or whatever uh i believe rick moranis was on the first cover with goofy actually of the first issue if i remember right well just whatever though it's like a human a human person and a disney character yes exactly so this one normally this one i i i remembered that it was actually the special 3d issue so I was able to track it down. Oh. It's the issue uh, with Will Smith and Magica Dispel on the cover. That's from November <laughs> okay. 1992. But it, does this have an Aladdin comic in 3D? Or I might be thinking of a later issue. They may have done more one than with... one 3D issue. Yeah. 
Um, I had one within Aladdin, and Aladdin would would check out. I mean, that was a new release at this time, you know. Yeah, yeah, it would have been. I think this is the one that had a Weird Al comic in 3D, actually. Like, Weird Al, photos of Weird Al surrounded by, like, cartoon-drawn characters, and the whole thing was in 3D. It was very cool. When you say a Weird Al comic in 3D, it's just a graphic novel adaptation of Weird Al's second album. (laughs) Uh, I wish. It was actually a spoof of Captain EO. Which was a oh, 3D that's film. Too bad. Yeah. Is it a spoof of Captain EO about like Mr. Popeil and the Rye or the Kaiser? No, it was just Weird Al like in space with a bunch of weird aliens and stuff. Sounds awesome. I don't remember what it was called. It might have been called Captain EIEIO or something like that. I don't it's know. It's probably something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, the, but that was the way that I found out that there was a new Muppet movie coming out. It was only a month before it was released, just seeing this ad in a magazine, which is crazy now because i'm thinking about like the 2011 and 2014 movies where we probably knew about them at least a year and a half before they were released yeah and just all these all this information just kept trickling out right i i have no memory of when i first heard of this movie it i guess i was almost eight when it came out but it weirdly feels like it was always there yeah kind of it's it's still for you at that age i guess it kind of does yeah right my grandma had the VHS. I'm sure my brother Christopher and I talked about that when he was on the show right. last season. But that's where I saw it dozens of times. It was sure. just, it, we're at my grandma, especially if it's Christmas time. We're yeah, watching yeah. this, you know, over and over. But I probably saw it at her house, Christmas season 1993 for the first time. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, for me seeing it as a new movie in the theater, I guess I... I knew or I assumed that they were going to keep making new Muppet stuff after Jim Henson died just because there had been the celebration of Jim Henson special where Kermit says we're going to keep bringing more music and fun or whatever he says. Um, So I don't know. Maybe older fans were a little more cynical. I definitely didn't go into it like arms folded, like, all right, let's see what these guys can do. It's probably not going to be good. Like the Muppets aren't going to be good again. Because you're 11 you're, you're in yeah, sixth exactly. grade. So I was just sure. like, cool, a new Muppet thing. I'm ready for it. Let's go. Although I was yeah. actually sort of uh, skeptical about the fact that it's an adaptation of A Christmas Carol because I had seen Mickey's Christmas Carol many times, the, the mm-hmm. short film with all the Disney characters. And also um, the, there was a Bugs Bunny Christmas special that had a, a Christmas right. Carol. Right, the Looney... Bugs Bunny's Looney Christmas Tales. Right. Which is perhaps best known for inexplicably being in Lethal Weapon. When Mel Gibson is really? going to shoot himself, Bugs Bunny's Looney Christmas Tales is on the TV. Yeah, I mean, it's a Warner Brothers movie. Is it? So, like, oh, it what, takes place whatever. at Christmas time, though, right? It takes place at Christmas yeah. time, yeah. Okay. But still, like, that's a bad special, and it was only eight years old at the time, you know? Yeah. Like, it's not It's not like it's. it's not, you know, one froggy evening or something. Hmm. Yeah, it's that just is like a bad TV special. I yeah. would love to know how that be, how that uh, came about. And we can't even ask Richard Donner now. RIP. Uh, yeah, too bad. But yeah, and then just uh, before we get into the actual minutes, like it it has been very interesting to see how this has gone on sort of a journey from being like this is the this is the the Muppet guys uh, getting back together trying to make a movie after Jim Henson and seeing how things goes. You know, and now it's. It's like this unimpeachable holiday classic. Everyone agrees that it's one of the best Christmas movies. It's one of the best Muppet movies. It Yeah, it might be the Muppet movie that you see the most discussion of online. Yeah, and I think that's because people watch it at least once a year. 
It's it's yeah, the one that they, right. there's a reason for them to watch it once a year. Right. So uh yeah. It's a good movie. And today I agree. today we are talking about minutes one and two of the Muppet Christmas Carol, in which we see logos and opening credits. My favorite my two favorite parts. Yeah. <laughs> so um oh and by the way, what we're watching here is uh we have added When Love Is Gone essentially back into the film so we're watching the whole thing all the way through including that song which is sometimes there and sometimes not there um so yeah we're doing that two minutes at a time this is minutes one and two the first thing we see is the old school walt disney pictures logo right it's that it's that bright blue where the screen is all blue and then the castle the line the like white lines castle is built uh, you know like yeah essentially and that, first of all, it gives me such a rush of nostalgia. Right, of course. You know, it's from it's from our childhood, like like you said. Um, but also on Disney Plus, it's still there on this movie. I, I don't know if you went to go check. I wanted to double check because a lot of the animated movies from around this time do not have this logo on them on Disney. Oh, Plus. did they replace it with the newer it's, it's, computer? It's the animated. newer one with the yeah, with like where it pans across and there's yeah. a river and fireworks and all that. You watch The Lion King and Aladdin. I double-checked those two. They both have that current logo on them, which hmm. feels wrong to me. Like I, it does. I, if, I'm watching, if I'm watching The Lion King, I want it to start like this. And I know it's a silly thing. It's a small thing, certainly. Yeah. It's not like I'm, you know, oh, oh, I can watch it on my phone whenever I want. Boo-hoo. <laughs> it starts with a different logo. Right. Yeah. No, but it is, you know, and it is our generation nostalgia thing, just... Like there, there's something even now rewatching these things where you hear that little jingle, the, that, that little musical riff. It's it's like a, a snippet of When it's, You Wish Upon a Star and then it has that little whistle. But that like, and you're just like, yeah, oh, there some, it is. something's going to happen. Something, something special is about to start. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad it's still intact on this one. Although I do wonder, they've talked about now that they found the original film or the the masters or whatever they needed to restore when love is gone in high definition. I wonder if they will replace that on Disney Plus with a version that includes when love is gone, but also swaps out the old Disney logo for the new one. But I guess we'll find out. Mm, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so then the next thing we see is the Jim Henson Productions logo. This is uh, the laser cut Kermit and the little buzz, buzz, buzz uh, blue speck that turns into the, I guess, the dot over the letter I of the word, the, the word Jim. The word Jim, yeah. probably talked about this before right yeah i think it was on at least the muppet movie or i, I, I think don't know, it's they, been I added some to of, some of the older ones yeah but some of the older ones had that like newer one than this where kermit's sitting on a camera or whatever oh the jim henson well, I'm pictures not sure we, i'm not sure we have seen this yet well oh, okay. but i think we saw this on on muppet family christmas maybe because i know it was on the vhs maybe. for that oh okay because i i think this was probably the first time that they used this logo in a new production. Right. I'm sure they've added it retroactively to old productions, but 
anyway, right. it's yeah. cool. Uh, I like it. I kind of. Yeah, it, it it also gives me a rush of nostalgia, much like the Disney one. Does. Yeah. Because I watched this so often. I was on the Fraggle Rock tapes that I had back right, in high school. Right. You know, the, the two episode releases. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know when they stopped using this, but obviously they can't use it now because Kermit is not a Jim Henson Company character. But, right. And uh, it's the company is not called Jim Henson Productions either. Right. It's the Jim like, Henson Company, which... Yeah, yeah it, it is, uh, you know, Jim Henson Company always sounds so corporate to me. Like, productions is like, sure, they're producing yeah. things, they're making things, it's, creative it's, things. It's the dream factory, yeah. Hollywood. Company is like, we are a company now. I don't know. Business, business. It's exactly. The, it's but, the, <laughs> uh, what is it called? The the Hungadunger McCormick the Marching Society. Hungadunger. Merrill Lunch. Merrill Lunch. Hungadunger. <laughs> All accountant marching society. See, I got it wrong Something on like Hubble. Yeah. I'm gonna get it wrong again. Yeah, you'll get it wrong forever. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So it's called the Hardcastle and McCormick Accountant Society. <laughs> that must be it. Yeah. Uh, then um, the movie becomes sad right away before anything has even happened because the next thing that we see is this title that says "In Loving Memory of Jim Henson and Richard Hunt." So. Richard Hunt had passed away just, I believe, at the beginning of the year in which this movie came out at the end of the year. Yeah, 1992, January. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of people watching the movie in 1992 had no idea who that was. I don't know if I knew who it was in 1992. I may have sort of vaguely recognized his name from the credits of, of Muppet Productions. But sure. I probably wouldn't have been able to tell you that he was... Scooter and Janice and you know at the time Forgetful Jones yeah Forgetful Jones one of my favorites yeah one of your favorites yeah exactly yeah, yeah. no I knew that right but I wanted to make sure I got the quote right so I looked it up uh 18 years ago when Tough Pigs covered this in a classic My Week series with Danny Horn and uh Kynan Barker oh yeah Kynan said in reference to this moment this was the first time I'd heard that Richard Hunt had passed away so reading that caption was like hey Muppet fans Merry Christmas by the way all your friends are dead yeah, that put a damper on things, and it's like, yeah, no, I mean, I, I get it. Again, as a kid, I didn't know, I didn't know who Richard Hunt was for sure until I read Jim Henson the works exactly in about yeah. ninety seven or ninety eight probably. Right, and so I never thought anything of it, you know. But I do think it's nice that it's up front rather than at the end. Uh, yeah, and also nice that, I mean, I, I guess given. That the, you know, this was still the era where the the Jim Henson Productions was a relatively small group of people working together. I guess there there's probably no reality in which they don't also memorialize Richard at the beginning. But it is nice that it's Jim Henson and Richard Hunt that right that on Richard the same screen. The, yeah, 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 yeah. So the next thing we see uh, is the opening credits of the movie. Yay! Walt Disney Pictures. They all presents. have families. <laughs> exactly. Walt Disney has family. Mm -hmm. uh, Walt Disney Pictures presents from Jim Henson Productions. The next credit we see is a Brian Henson film. Uh, have we talked about Brian Henson on the podcast before? I'm, I'm sure we have, like in passing. I'm sure we have. Right. I can't imagine we've never said the name Brian Henson before. Right. We definitely talked about him in regards to the bicycle scene in Great Muppet. Oh, that's right. Yes, right? we would Which have, he's like, yes. he's riding the trike in that or whatever. Right. 
but but yeah, he hadn't done any performing in in Muppet movies yet, really either. Um, you know, not in a Muppet movie, really. Yeah, not. Yeah, yeah we didn't so. we didn't cover Return to Oz or Little Shop of Horrors on the podcast. or even Labyrinth or or Labyrinth. Yeah, which yeah. I think we will cover Labyrinth someday in some. Capacity. We'll get to it. Yes. And and those other ones might be fun bonus episodes if we if we run out of content or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it could be because movies that m- movies that you and I both enjoy in general, right? You know, Muppet adjacent. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so who is Brian Henson? Uh, he is the third of five children of Jim and Jane Henson. Uh, as early as his teenage years, he was working with his dad on on Muppet Productions. Um, it's, it's a familiar part of Muppet lore to fans that he built the first Muppet Penguin for the Muppet Show. Um, he worked on the bicycle sequence for The Great Muppet Caper, as Anthony mentioned. He performed Hoggle and Labyrinth and The Storyteller's Dog on The Storyteller. And then uh, after Jim Henson died, Brian became the president, chairman, and chief executive officer of the Henson Company at the age of 27. Right. And he's only 29 here. Right. Which you know, is like, just kind of staggering. <laughs> yeah, he's only... And I looked it up because I was curious. His only directorial credit before this movie was an episode of Dinosaurs that aired in September of 92. Oh, okay. So he may have shot that after this movie was finished filming too you know i mean hmm. it's gonna yeah. be a lot lot shorter post-production on a tv episode it only yeah. came out three months earlier huh he didn't direct any of the other like like direct video specials or anything like that no huh. at least at least according to imdb yeah wow. the earliest director credit is is this because he did later dinosaurs too right yeah yeah w- one of the dinosaurs episodes has an earlier <laughs> right. well yeah i think he was pretty movie. closely involved with dinosaurs yeah he performed characters. He did voices on dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. I, I was Dude. watching, yeah. I, I watched the first season of Dinosaurs not long ago, and I was surprised at how often he popped up as just little various creatures here and there. Right, because he has such a distinctive voice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you always know it's him. <laughs> um, really? But I don't know about you, but when I was 27, I was not uh, in any state to be named the president, chairman, and CEO of any kind of company. No. I, I became president, chairman, and CEO of my first middle school library at, at 27. Right. That was and the that, year that's I started as a school librarian. Yeah. So, yeah, he was obviously uh, instrumental in keeping the company going uh, around this time. And this was his first feature directing job, as we mentioned. Um, I think he does a really good job. Yeah, I think this is, I think this is, I mean, we'll get more and more into this as we go along. But it might be the prettiest Muppet movie, as far as I'm concerned. I, I think it looks great. It does. Yeah, it, it does. Um, and I watched the... Uh, I, I was watching on the Blu-ray. I think this director's commentary is on the previous DVD releases also. But when you listen to him talking about the movie, you can really hear how how much he likes talking about all the complicated shots and puppetry tricks and camera tricks that they had to do to make things work. So... I think he's just a really good technical director. And I have to wonder if he weren't so closely involved with running the Jim Henson company, if he might have been like off directing, you know, fantasy movies, even like superhero movies. Cause he's, he seems to be really good at this kind of thing. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Yeah. And of course he's only directed three features. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and, and it's, I mean, it's what, it's a 22 year break between Treasure Island and Happy Time Murders? Happy Time Murders. Uh, that sounds right. Yeah. Right. That was 96 and then 2018. Like that's a long time. It is. I think he's directed a few other like episodes of TV and. Right. And he directed um, Jack and the Beanstalk, the real story. Right. That TV which miniseries. Is a, which is like a four hour miniseries. Right. Yeah. yeah. Featuring um, Bill Beretta as a giant. Right, right. I, I saw that when it aired. I have not watched it since. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. I I never I never I didn't see it then or now. So yeah. I I don't know. I just remember it existing. Right. Um Oh, and this this was uh on that note, um there's a feature out on the Blu-ray called uh, Frogs, Pigs and Humbug Unwrapping a New Holiday Classic. Uh That's which... the feature from the nineties, right? Isn't it? There was a making of TV special that aired in the 90s when this came out. I think this is a new featurette that incorporates some of, some that, of that footage footage in addition to some new stuff with uh, Brian and Gonzo and Rizzo talking about the movie. Oh, right. But that's on the DVD. It was probably. Yeah, I don't know what's new to yeah, the Blu-ray. There may have been nothing right. new to the Blu-ray, actually. Right. Because I don't I don't have the Blu-ray, but I have the. You've seen that I have one. both of the both of the DVD releases. OK. Yeah, it's the, uh, it's the only movie we own two DVD copies of because oh. the the full screen only one has that ah. that featurette. Right. OK. You know, yeah. Uh, but there's a clip of Michael Caine from the time uh, saying that he did not know that this was Brian's first uh, movie as a director until about halfway through production when somebody mentioned it. He just kind of assumed that Brian had directed a Muppet movie before. So right. I guess when Michael Caine can't tell that you're new to directing, you're doing something right. Right, for sure. Uh, so the next thing we see on the screen is the title of the movie, The Muppet Christmas Carol. And if this movie came out today, it would be called Muppets A Christmas Carol. <laughs> yeah, or just Muppets Christmas Carol. Muppets Christmas Carol, yeah. You gotta, gotta stick with that branding. It's gotta be Muppets. Yeah. Muppets, Muppets, Muppets. Muppets. Muppets Haunted Mansion is exactly. awkward. It feels very awkward to me. Very. And like even, even special, Muppets but... Mayhem sounds weird to me. Muppets Mayhem is going to be the runaway hit of the season by the time we finish this pod- I, season of the podcast. I hope so. I'm... We're all going to love it. It's going to be the best Muppet thing since since Muppet Christmas Carol. Since the <laughs> since the Muppets of Christmas Carol. Wow. I don't, know. I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I have high hopes for it. But no, yeah, I hope we it's always good. have I high do. hopes of course, for everything. Of course. Yeah. Right. I hope it's good. I didn't like. I mean, I liked Haunted Mansion. I didn't like Muppets Now. Yeah. But we don't would you have liked it more if it had been called Muppet Now? <laughs> I would have liked. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. I the don't Muppet know. Now. I don't know what they. I don't know what they could have done with that thing. I just don't. I didn't think it was. It made no impression on me. Yeah. It like didn't exist. Um, like, it was it's, like it's already gone. I maybe like 35% of it I liked. And then the rest of it, like you say, just kind of has faded from my memory already. Right. The other interesting thing about the title, the book is A Christmas Carol, right? Right. But this is the Muppet Christmas Carol. This is not just any old Muppet Christmas Carol. This is the Muppet Christmas Carol. The definitive article. Right. Uh, According to Brian Henson, the idea of making the next Muppet movie an adaptation of A Christmas Carol was the idea. Uh, the idea came from Bill Haber, not Bill Hader, Bill Haber, <laughs> who is the co-founder of Creative Artist Agency. At the time, he was, I guess, 
the Hollywood agent for the Muppets as a as an act. Uh, so he he was the one who suggested why why not have the Muppets do a Christmas Carol, and it was a good idea. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Bill. Now the camera starts flying over the rooftops of Dickensian London. So uh, there was a video a couple years ago for the Oh My Disney show, which I think was a YouTube series, some kind of online Disney thing. Uh, oh My Disney was was Disney's BuzzFeed imitation. Oh, was it its own website? Yeah, it was its own website, ohmydisney.com. And in Wreck-It Ralph 2, Ralph Breaks the Internet, a terrible movie. Come at me. Come at me, Wreck-It Ralph 2 fans. I haven't seen it. They, they go, it's bad. It's uh. awful. They go to the internet where they go on ohmydisney.com and in this feature film that came out in theaters they say out loud the happiest place on the internet ohmydisney.com oh boy and here's the thing like roughly a year and a half after that movie came out in the spring of 2020 that website stopped existing okay that was my next question it doesn't exist anymore yeah Yeah, so it doesn't exist anymore so but no here's the thing about wreck it ralph 2 the disney princess sequences are very funny and good and and anything that you hear positive about those five minutes, absolutely correct. Well, but I feel like a lot of the jokes from that sequence were in the trailer. So yeah, you know, you saw the best stuff. I'm just trying to go to ohmydisney.com to see what happens. Oh, it just yeah. redirects to news.disney.com. So yeah, but yeah, so they they put all this effort in their in their like one of their one of the like Disney canon, right? The, right. <laughs> breaks the internet. Yeah. Wow. Well, anyway, um, on this video uh, for the Oh My Disney show, they had Brian Henson and Dave Goals sit down together and watch this movie and talk about it. Um, it's very cool. It's on YouTube on their, their official channel, if you want to look for that. Um, so in that video, Brian talks about how they built these models, which were just about about three feet tall, he says, these buildings. Um he said to get the depth of field so it doesn't feel like a miniature you have to shoot with the camera rolling very very slowly he also says that there are crew members pushing the models in front of the camera as the camera moves back i'm i'm gesturing which the the listeners obviously can't see but just picture that the camera is rolling back and as it rolls back the crew members are pushing in each new row of buildings so it looks like the camera is just gliding back over the buildings uh not the kind of thing you ever think about when you're watching the movie but a lot of a lot of hard work went into it so also now i i apologize anthony but i'm about to acknowledge the existence of disney theme parks because okay Okay. (laughs) just briefly uh in 1995 i went to disney world for the first time and at mgm studios they they had the backlot tour which also no longer exists but uh, it included this section where you could just walk around this big room and see all these props and set pieces from various Disney movies. In that room, up on a shelf, there was this set of snow-covered, old-looking miniature buildings. And my whole life after that point, I went around just with this belief or this memory that I had seen these London miniatures from Up at Christmas Carol. But then a few years ago, I mentioned this to our friend Joe Hennis, and he asked a reasonable question, which was, how did you know that those were the Muppet Christmas Carol houses? And I was like, oh, uh, I guess I'm just pretty sure they were. 
And he asked if I had seen a plaque or a sign that actually explicitly stated that these were the houses from Up at Christmas Carol. And I could not remember. So this made me question everything I thought I knew. But Did you find out? But in doing some research online for this season of the podcast, I stumbled upon a video on YouTube called Walking Around Disney MGM Studios 1993 Restored Home Movie. Uh, it's on a channel called Retro WDW, if people want to find it. In this video, at the 16 minute and 30 second mark, there is a part where uh, people go into a building called the Studio Showcase at MGM Studios. And there they are on a table. It's these miniatures, and they're accompanied by a sign that says they are from Muppet Christmas Carol. So I did see these buildings. And you did see a sign. I guess I must have, yeah. Yeah. So there <laughs> so that's exciting so take that joe <laughs> yeah um unfortunately all this backlot stuff has been closed now at, at what's now hollywood studios so i have no idea where these miniature buildings are now but um yeah i remember that gary and walter went there and alan arkin was going to show them around but it was closed yeah. oh well <laughs> that was the that was actually shot at the the jim henson company lot in hollywood Actual I was just Hollywood. being silly. Yeah, I know. I was I know. just being silly. You were being silly and it was funny, but you know that people would have corrected you in the Facebook comments. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, but also I recommend people seek out that YouTube video anyway, because they also had on display at the time a bunch of puppets from this movie. Like you can see JP Gross and his Dickensian top hat and everything. So that's fun. Awesome. That rules. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so any, do you have any comments about the London rooftops? I like them. I'm for them. Yeah, they look good. <clears throat> uh, the next credit is from the novel by Charles Dickens. Anthony, do you want to tell us about the novel by Charles Dickens? I do. So I maybe want to tell you too much about the novel by good. Charles Dickens. Because, look, this is an um, episode. It's, it, you know, it's the beginning. It's just the two of us. This is the time to go crazy. We're just hanging out. Yeah. Um, so my wife, Rosalind, got me for Christmas this year, The Annotated Christmas Carol by Michael Patrick Hearn, which is nice. very yeah, it's great. Like specifically because she knew I would want it for podcasting purposes. Oh, wow. You know, um, so that I can refer to it. Because what I want to do throughout this season, in previous seasons, we have uh, looked at earlier drafts of the screenplay. And this one, we don't have any earlier drafts of the screenplay, except in the sense that we have the original draft, the 1843 novel <laughs> A Christmas Carol. It's true. Although I Dickens. will say, if anyone out there has any connections or somehow knows how we could get our hands on a copy of like a first draft of the screenplay, please let us know because we would love to have that anyway. And we could, you could be anonymous if you wish to be anonymous or, or not be anonymous. Right. <laughs> we would love it. Yeah. But we do have A Christmas Carol. So like I said, it's published in 1843. And listeners may have heard before that it is often credited with reviving the popularity of christmas in england um in 1652 wow 189 years earlier the the puritan government the post oliver cromwell puritan government had outlawed <laughs> christmas celebrations in england really that's true yes Wait, why because oh. well okay so now now we hear about the war on christmas and uh, uh, we think of it as, we think of it as like the left is coming after Christmas or like, right. Like that's, that's what people say. That's not, that's not, yes, we think it. of it as a thing that people like, uh, hype up to try to get sympathy for themselves or whatever. 
Right. But in, in the 1600s, they also had a war on Christmas and it was coming from Christians who thought that Christmas celebrations were an excuse for drunkenness, huh. an excuse for just like rowdiness in the streets, right? That they had co-opted all these pagan symbols. So it's not, re- it's not biblical, right. right? There's no, there's, there's, there's no holy day of Christ's birth in, in the Bible, right? Right. It doesn't give um, a date, like a date on the calendar. Right. 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 So, so that's why. It was like the Church of England saying, "Huh, this is this is not part of the church does not recognize this as as a holy day." Hmm. So then that went on, but before a Christmas Carol came out in 1843, there had been a few other books. Uh, This book in Hearn talks about Thomas K. Hervey's The Book of Christmas in 1835, and William Sandy's Christmas Carols, Ancient and Modern in 1833 okay. so there was kind of like this like christmas revival spirit b- bubbling wow. up. meanwhile charles dickens was the most famous novelist in england right right a christmas carol is his seventh book how old do you think charles dickens was when he wrote a christmas carol by the way ryan oh boy well i know that in general uh people got old fast in those days so you're saying this was his seventh book seventh seventh novel yeah seventh novel i'll say that he was 31 you're you are exactly right oh wow <laughs> yeah well and i think like i know for me like when i picture charles dickens i picture um simon callow on doctor who right oh who's, yeah who's playing charles dickens like a year before he died mm-hmm. in his late 50s but yeah, he was 31 when this book. He's two years older than Brian Henson when he made Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Huh. You know, I think, like you say, like, I think we think of Charles Dickens as an old man, but he was not an old man. Uh, but 1842 had been a very, really rough year for him because Martin Chuzzlewit, his his serial that he was writing at that time, Martin Chuzzlewit. A very Dickensian name. Least, very Dickensian name. Was his least popular. Mm. It was just like... It has this whole sequence where the character goes to America and talks about how boorish everyone is there. <laughs> and people talk about that still. Like you'll hear Dickens fans oh, yeah. talk about, oh, the America section. And there's actually a joke in that Doctor Who episode. Okay. Uh, then the doctor meets Charles Dickens. He says, I don't even, I've never even heard America of that book section, though. Martin Chuzzlewit. Um, well, that's like, it's not one of the famous ones. That's, yeah. that's my point. You know, he had, he had already written before that David Copperfield and Nicholas Nickleby and, um, some of the other, some of the other famous ones. I guess I haven't really, but I've read Great Expectations. That might be it, and and I have read A Christmas Carol, but sure, yeah, um, yeah, I've read A Christmas Carol a bunch of times. I should say that it's like I first read it in college. I've probably mm-hmm. read it five times. It's short. We should also say that it's short. It's only like ninety four pages long. Yeah, actually, let paper. me ask you this: I the 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 book that my family had in our household when I was growing up had. A Christmas Carol, and then it also had another Dickens story in it called The Cricket on the Hearth. Cricket on the Hearth. Is that so, a Christmas so story? He, I never even read yes. it. I'd always just skip past it. It is. And, and and that's the other thing about A Christmas Carol is, well, he wrote, starting with this one in 1843, he wrote five Christmas novellas oh. between over the next six years. Wow. And and there's, they're like, you can get them all in like, you know, a nice Barnes and Noble hardback or whatever, sure. right? A Christmas Carol and, and other Christmas stories, but they're they're all around 100 pages. Hmm. Um, Cricket on the Hearth is Rankin Bass's second TV special, by the way. Oh, okay, I haven't seen that one. It st- it stars Danny and Marlo Thomas. Oh, great! 
Yeah. So it's it, it's uh, it's hand drawn. It's so, it's like Frosty the Snowman style. Oh, cool! I should seek that out. Um, all this time, people just keep like remaking a Christmas Carol over and over again, adapting it over and over again. And there are all these other Charles Dickens Christmas stories that they could be adapting instead. Yeah, yeah, and and plus short stories. So he has like the five novellas. Yeah. Plus plus short stories, and he only he wrote I. I I should have written it down. I believe he wrote 21 novels. Okay. And five of them are that are those Christmas novellas, you yeah. know? Um, wow. but yeah, so he was he was kind of down on his luck. People he was like, people were starting to feel like he was a flash in the pan. Yeah. Because of this Martin Chuzzlewit thing. <laughs> and then and then a Christmas carol comes out, and it was a big hit. Ah. Five shillings. So the, the book only cost five shillings because he wanted it to be cheap so that it could get to a large audience great and i looked it up that's actually in u.s dollars that's 1596 today in today's so dollars not today's dollars it's 1596 oh okay so, that's... so it's not it's that's like a reasonably priced hardcover right yeah yeah you know because it was it was a hardbound for volume, a short obviously. book yeah yeah hmm. but it doesn't doesn't seem especially cheap to me but um yeah so anyways it kind of turned his career around and it did actually like is credited at the time even with reviving the popularity of christmas it thomas hood oh, so in that's his actually review true. in yeah so this is this is one of the things cited in there thomas hood in hood's magazine and comic miscellany <laughs> in eight, in 1844 his review of a christmas carol so again it's it's a new release it's a couple months old if christmas with its ancient and hospitable customs its social and charitable observances were in danger of decay this is the book that would give them a new lease. Okay. So like he's saying, like, you know, if, if you're worried about Christmas going away, check out this thing, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Hmm. It's going to fill you with Christmas cheer, right? Wow. It's yeah. interesting that the book is about a guy who doesn't like Christmas and learns to love Christmas. And it sounds like that's kind of what happened to the audience when this book came out. Yeah, right, right. And I'll have, I'll have a lot more stuff about this as we go on. Um, like, like I said, I want to I want to kind of show how the movie corresponds to the book, and I I, I think we all kind of know pretty well is the answer. Yeah. Um, there was a there's that famous segment from I want to say it was CBS this morning, where a, a curator at the Dickens Museum cited it as her favorite adaptation. Right. Yeah. Of, of, of the novel, right, or the most faithful adaptation. Right. Um, but in this segment, it's not because there's no opening credits in the book. Ah. So, but there, but there is a, pre, there is a preface. Can I read the preface? Sure. I have endeavored in this ghostly little book to raise the ghost of an idea, which shall not put my readers out of humor with themselves, with each other, with the season or with me. May it haunt their houses pleasantly and no one wish to lay it. Their faithful friend and servant, C.D. December, 1843. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So that rules, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So uh, this this brings to mind in the song, uh, The Most Wonderful Time of the Year, there's that line about there'll be scary ghost stories. Yeah. Which inevitably, like every Christmas on Twitter, people are like, why do they say they're scary ghost stories? But So it was, I guess, at some point, a tradition to tell scary stories at Christmas time, which it, it was this part of that tradition. I, I mean, I guess so, yeah. Yeah. Um. I feel like I knew that at some point because a couple of years ago I read Christmas, a biography by Judith Flanders, which is uh, 
a very thorough history of mostly European Christmas traditions. Right. But she talks about that. She talks about like the, there was like a, in Scandinavia, there's like a tradition in Norway and Sweden, there's a Scandin- uh, tradition called Yulebucking, where you like dress up in masks oh. and go to your neighbor's houses on Christmas to like surprise them with carols and ask for a treat. <laughs> okay. So it's like Halloween so, on like, Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And it's called Yulebucking. Yeah. Yeah. Let's bring that back um, uh, in this country. My my uncle Mark actually has has done it. That's true. Oh, nice, nice. Shout, shout out to Mark Strand. Yeah, that's fun. Um, yeah, but but yes, for so we will we will be looking at the book for the rest of the season. I hope listeners, I hope you're okay with that because I, I really love a Christmas Carol. Well, like, this I, is I, all I'm fascinating to me. I hope it's it's half as fascinating to our audience as it is to me because yeah, I love this. Stuff. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm not even that far into the annotated yet because the introduction is 112 pages long. Whoa, okay. And I got about I got about 40 pages in uh, researching for this. I so. see. Well, I yeah, maybe this is a little uh, peek behind the scenes, but um, we we uh, actually rescheduled this recording because Anthony was trying to make his way through the the introduction to the annotated Christmas Carol, but 120 pages. 112 yeah 112 wow that's yeah Mm -hmm. that's a lot yeah so um yeah like we say there have been many many adaptations of this book uh there have been movies plays musicals tv specials um like i said when i saw that ad in disney adventures my first thought was kind of like does the world really need another christmas carol adaptation and it's funny because this one has now become kind of the definitive adaptation at least to our generation and maybe people yeah. younger than we are I, th- I think that's probably right um yeah i mean what's i mean th- there's been i would say the the robert zemeckis one is the is the highest profile adaptation since this for sure since this one Jim Carrey. Yeah, yeah yeah i would say yeah and it's not it's not great i don't think i haven't seen it you know i it, it, it hasn't really become any kind of holiday class well it's one of those anything, motion capture know? animation things right yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I had no desire to see it when it came out because it just looked creepy. And Jim Carrey plays everyone like oh yeah. I mean you 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 know how it is like yeah, he yeah. plays Scrooge, he plays all the ghosts, the ghost, yeah. All right, and G- G- Gary Oldman plays Tiny Tim. That's interesting. Yeah, and he's probably younger than Jerry Nelson was in this movie. But oh, that's he's not true. really as convincing. You know, <laughs> right? He's definitely younger than Jerry Nelson. Uh, other him. versions, of course, include uh, Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, which I have not seen, but I've, I've, people think very highly of it. Oh man, you got to check that out. I will by the before we finish the season. I will check out Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. I'm so I'm I'm so excited for you. <laughs> Thanks. Do you know what's going to happen after you watch Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol? I have no idea. You'll have the Lord's bright blessing and knowing we're together, knowing we're together hand in hand. It's from it. It's from and I assume movie. I'll know that song. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a... That's my, that's my mom's favorite Christmas special. So I've seen it. Oh, nice. Yeah. Every year. Yeah. Uh, there was a Flintstones Christmas Carol. Um, I think that was a TV movie, maybe. Or yeah. Just fr- a special. From the 90s. It's right. Not great. Yeah. Years yeah. after the, the Flintstones uh, series. Right. Uh, the Smurfs did one like in the last ten or fifteen years or so, like with the cast of the the movies. Um, I have not seen that either. Is that right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and then of course, uh, Rich Little did a, a TV special 
where he played all of the characters as celebrity impressions, most of whom had been dead for many years. So. Well, hadn't been dead. Most of them hadn't been dead that long in 1978. You know. All right, but I mean, I guess I guess Bogart and W. C. Fields and I, stuff I, are in it. Yeah. So celebrities so, yeah, they, who so had reached enough. the like the peak of their careers years earlier. How about that? Right. Right. Um. Although Mrs. Cratchit is Gene Stapleton. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like Gene Stapleton as the Edith Bunker. Voice. As Edith Bunker, right? He's just doing an Edith Bunker imitation. Yeah. yeah. So, which of course, well, which of course, we 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 cannot let this pass without uh, talking about what that inspired. Which is on the short-lived The Dana Carvey Show. There's a <laughs> sketch called Rich Little's Easter Special, right? Which is like a takeoff on this, where he plays all the characters in like the biblical Easter story, right? As imitations, including, uh, so it's so it's Dana Carvey as Rich Little, as Gene Stapleton, as Edith Bunker, as Mary Magdalene, <laughs> right? Uh, I, I, the other thing I remember about that, he says, and remember, folks, it's all completely me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's so funny because it's like such a savage takedown yeah. of a TV special that was 20 years old at that time. Right. And that nobody, and that nobody cared about. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, it's not like it was on every year. It's like. No. Um, but it's, uh, it's so who, good. Who's yeah, Jack Benny I, in that? In, Who in is the Jack Easter, Benny the in Easter the, special sketch? In the Easter special? He's he's Pontius Pilate, isn't he? Okay. So they ask him something about, like, should we set this prisoner free? And he says, I'm thinking it over. I'm thinking. I'm, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so he must be Pontius Pilate, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's it. But anyway. Um, yeah. so. Um, but it's so funny to me that you're naming adaptations of A Christmas Carol, and you're like, George C. Scott, who cares? Alistair Sim, doesn't well, matter. Yes, Patrick these Stewart, are, get so, out of here. No, those are the straight adaptations, and we can talk about those too. I'm just amused by all of the like spoofs. and you know, like There have been sitcom episodes where the characters right. on the sitcom yeah, so play many. The, the ghosts yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Um, right. I played Scrooge when I was in ninth grade. Oh, cool. I'm sure I knew that. My, my brother Derek played Bob Cratchit. My sister, Erin, who has been on this podcast before, played the Ghost of Christmas Past. Oh, not in the same production as me. No, no. no. We should make clear to listeners. Completely different uh, states and times, probably. Yeah. Although she's only a couple years younger than me. I mean, theoretically, we could have been in a high school production together had we we not lived 2,000 miles apart. (laughs) Right. You could have. But the point is, there have been a lot of adaptations of this, but this is one of the best or possibly the best one. Uh, the next credit that we see is for one of the starring actors. It says starring Kermit the Frog as Bob Cratchit. So it sure does. Having the Muppets play these previously written characters was basically a new concept for the Muppets. I mean, they had done a couple episodes of the Muppet Show where they're doing Robin Hood or Alice in Wonderland. But other than the fact that Gonzo and Rizzo speak directly to us. This one doesn't really have the same kind of self-awareness that the previous Muppet movies did. Like there's no, right. there's no indication that Kermit knows he's in a movie in this. Right. Or, or, or Piggy. Right. Or, you know? or even that they're, I mean, they're just playing it straight for the most part. I mean, Piggy has some funny stuff to do, but right. I think that's why they decided to do the, the opening credits this way, just to let us know, like, 
the Muppets are just playing these characters. Like this is kind of a new thing for them. They're actors in this movie. Right, right. And and you're right. It's a new thing. And it's a thing that they didn't do that many times. Uh, but I don't even remember if has, they did it in Treasure Island. I'm, I think they do, yeah, because I can definitely picture Miss Piggy as Benjamina Gunn, right? Okay. But my point is they don't play different characters. Like, there's there's only three long-form Muppet productions that are adaptations right. of the thing. Yes. And the third one is Muppet's Wizard of Oz. Muppet, Muppet Wizard of Oz, correct? Is that the title of that? Mu- uh, oh, I think it's The Muppet's apostrophe Wizard of Oz. The Muppet's apostrophe Wizard of Oz, yeah. which is bad and everyone hates it. So, like, that <laughs> almost doesn't even count, you know? Yeah. But it's the thing that people are obsessed with still. People talk all the time online about... What movie do you want the Muppet version of? Oh, why don't they make non-stop. the Muppet version of thing? Yeah, you know? like, and it's like because this movie is so good at it that it right. makes it feel like that's what the Muppets do. I yeah, I guess. You, you know? I mean, it's a little bit. I don't know. To the to people like us who are not thinking about the Muppets all day every day, I guess I can understand how you might see a post on Facebook that says if you could remake any movie with the cast as all Muppets, what movie would it be? And they might be like, oh, that's a fun idea. I've never heard that before. And it would be <laughs> exciting and novel to them. But it just, it just, it happens so often. And I think it happens right. all the time. Yeah, I think you're right because people do think about this movie and Treasure Island a to a lesser yeah. extent as like, like, oh yeah, this is a, this is what the Muppets do all the time. They, they just remake these old stories. Yeah, right. And, and like, again, for, for people our age, who were kids when these ones came out. Right. That that makes sense. You yeah. know, I think it's not it's not 50-year-olds. Right. Who people who were too young out, to have you know? seen Muppets Take Manhattan in the theater. This was probably the first Muppet movie they saw. Yeah, right. So um, that's why they do that all the time. Yeah. I, I do wonder about like actors guild um <laughs> regulations. I guess they were just allowed to do this, crediting fake characters. As actors in a movie, yeah, I, I would be curious know. to know about we, the logistics of that. We should ask Brian Henson next time we see him. Yeah, I will. I will. <laughs> so uh, the next credit, uh, I'll just read off the next few credits. Miss Piggy as Emily Cratchit, the great Gonzo. second build, second like, build. Yeah, um, it feels like in universe that's like her agent Marty or whatever was very aggressive with her contract to get her second billing because she's barely in the movie. You know, right? I was going to say, yeah. So. I think it's I think that's why is because she is like the second most famous Muppet and they're reassuring yeah. the audience like don't worry you're not gonna see Miss Piggy for a long time but she is gonna be in this yeah yeah I think that's right uh, and then we have the great Gonzo as Charles Dickens then Rizzo the rat as himself by the way you can find some t-shirts with those credits on them if you and your friend want to walk around wearing Charles Dickens and Rizzo the Rat t-shirts, uh, you can find those on the Tough Pigs uh, Tea Public store. So check that out. I I kind of hope, I think I've said this to you before, but I kind of wish we had one that was just both of them on one shirt on the front and the back. Oh, hmm. I don't know. Great Gonzo as Charles Dickens, Rizzo the Rat as himself, and then I would wear that around. But uh, Yeah, we'll have to look into the option of putting something on the front and the back, but... Uh... Yeah. yeah, and I yeah, should maybe say that, that it. it was uh, our friend Joe's idea to put that on a T-shirt. So that was it was a yeah. very good idea. It's a great idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Fozzie gets credited kind of at the end of all these characters, which I guess, I mean, I would say he's 
more famous than Rizzo, but, but he's not in this. He's also as barely much. in it. Yeah. I, I, yeah, barely in it. He's a bear. <laughs> um, <laughs> he wears yeah, but a I hat. Guess, I guess that's why, because he has such a small role. And then uh, the next one is and Michael Caine as Scrooge. Which is so gracious of him. I, I know that like the and billing is also like it's and prestigious. Here's a big star often. Yeah. Right. But like he's absolutely the star of this movie. You know, he's Scrooge is absolutely the main character. He of this really film. is. A- and it's like Michael Caine is just like, well, he knows whose movie it is. He knows what the title is. Yeah. Right. So it's going to be all the Muppets first and Michael Caine is Scrooge. Right. Even though he's the main and character, what? it's not the Scrooge right. Christmas Carol. It's the Muppet Christmas Carol. Right. Right. And I guess we'll talk more about Michael Caine when we actually see him, like his credits and stuff, is, uh, is what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, sure, we can save some of that, because we are starting to run a little bit long. But um, mm-hmm. the next credit is Songs by Paul Williams. Now, we've talked about Paul Williams before, because he co-wrote the songs for the Muppet movie with Kenny Asher. He also wrote the songs for Emma Daughter's Jug Band Christmas. He would later write the songs for Muppet's a Muppets Christmas Letters to Santa. Uh, he was on an episode of The Muppet Show. Uh, he is great. <laughs> he talked about uh, how this movie kind of came along at a crucial time in his life. He was... Um, actually, this is from the interview that we did with him for Tough Pigs a while back. Uh, he said, I've been totally sober since 1990, and the first thing... The first thing they came up with for me was Muppet Christmas Carol about a guy who's had a spiritual awakening. I've just had a spiritual awakening. I've been given my life back. I've been living in absolute gratitude. I've been imbued with a thankful heart beyond what I can even express, except now I'm going to express it. So that that's really, a lovely sentiment. And this is obviously a very personal project for him. Yeah, for sure. Um, but he also, you mentioned the um, kind of like burst of activity with the Muppets in the late 70s. He was on the Muppet Show. He did Emma Daughter. He wrote the songs for the Muppet movies in the Muppet movie. This is the next time he worked with them after the Muppet movie. Right. It's 13 years or 12 and a half years. Yeah. Right. And he had, he had, or thir- yeah, I don't know, 12, 13 years. And he had no involvement with them at all during that whole time. That's true. And so it feels very much like, I, I don't know that this is the case, but like you say, with the spiritual rebirth for him and all that, like, we've talked about like the family coming back together after Jim died or whatever. Right. It feels like, like that's why he's back. Right. Yeah. We, the, the Muppets are moving on without Jim Henson. Here's, here's reliable songwriter, Paul Williams back, back in the fold. Yeah. Like bringing you know? in a, a familiar, yeah. A familiar part of the family. Yeah. And it's great. I mean, I think the songs in this all rule. I love the songs them. are very good. Yeah. Yeah. And they fit the tone of the movie perfectly. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, the next credit, original score by Miles Goodman. I think his work on this is great. Um, so his credits go back to 1974. They include uh, the scores for Teen Wolf, Little Shop of Horrors, About Last Night, Problem Child, 30 Rotten Scoundrels, What About Bob, House Sitter. So he worked with Frank Oz several times. He worked uh, right. Well, he worked, with, he worked with Frank Oz four movies in a row right before this. Oh, right. That, yeah. You know, were... Yeah. Yeah, Four and that's, and that's why, movie, and that's why he did the score for this, right? I mean, you know that, right? Oh yeah, like Frank must... Frank recommended him to Brian Henson. Oh, okay, you know that. I mean, obviously, but yeah, Frank, well, right, obviously, but also Frank said that in his like interview at Muppet Central with Ken Plume oh, okay. a million years ago. Cool. Yeah, 
Yeah, I um, mean, and it's also, also uh, oh, the other one I had on my list is Dunstan Checks In. Which, <laughs> you know, a lot of these are comedies, but they're sort of like, it, it's still like a, a, a wide range of styles of comedies. Right, right. Well, so so two things. One, um, I, I do want to give a shout out to our friend Tom Holstey, who loves Dunstan Checks In as a, <laughs> as a concept. I don't think he's ever seen the movie, but often at Oscar time, he will talk about how the front runner for this year's Oscars is Dunstan Chexit. <laughs> and it makes me laugh every time. Um, I saw it when it was new on VHS. I remember enjoying it at the time. I mean, it's like a, sure. s- a silly kids movie about a chimpanzee and a, or is he an orangutan? I think he's a chimpanzee. He's an orang- orangutan. Oh, he is? Okay. Dunstan. Just running yeah. around uh, in a hotel. So I'm right. sure it's, and I'm sure it's I, fun. Actually, my other memory of Dunstan Chexit, a film I have never seen, <laughs> Is the son or the yeah, the kid the kid with the chin, with a orangutan friend is Eric Lloyd the son from the Santa Claus? And, oh, okay. And I remember they interviewed him in the aforementioned Disney Adventures magazine ah. when Dunstan checks in was coming out, and one of the hard hitting questions was, "Who's a more fun movie dad, Tim Allen or Jason Alexander?" Ooh. And his answer was, "They're both cool." <laughs> And I don't you, know why I remember you that. Still like, remember that after all these years. Yeah, there's no reason to remember that. <laughs> well, now we all know. So, right. That's oh, great. oh, but the, but the other thing I was going to say about Miles Goodman. Oh yes, is when Roz and I watched House Sitter just a couple of years ago. She commented that the music sounded like Christmas carols, and oh. I was like, "No, it's not." It, and I said, "No, it sounds like Mother Christmas Carol." Like, huh. Did like you know at like the this... time that it was him? Yeah. I knew... Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I read the opening credits because that's what I'm like. Right, right. Y- you know. Yeah. And I said, I was like, oh, it's Miles Goodman. And she's like, oh, you're right. It does. It sounds like Mother Christmas here. It's yeah. not that it sounds like act- like regular Christmas music. Right. It just sounds like Scrooge is walking around. Sure. Well, this, I don't know. They're, like He incorporates pieces of the, the songs and pieces of some old Christmas songs and it's like, there's right, a lot of right. brass. It just really, that's the thing that, like... that that score had, had like trumpets in it. Okay. That, that's what it was. Yeah. It just sounds yeah. like you're in Christmas time in England a long time ago when you hear the score. Right. 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 Well, and, and we should say like the overture here, I don't think Miles Goodman wrote any of this, right? It's, it's all from the songs. The uh, maybe. This is the part that starts with uh, "It feels like Christmas." Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Because the whole thing is just like, so it's like a theatrical. I mean, he may have, you know, orchestrated it. Orchestrated it, yeah. I don't know. And he and he passed away in what nineteen ninety six or something. Yes, I think that's right. I did not write that down, but I believe that's correct. Yeah, but yeah, it's a good score. Yeah. So the next credit, line producer David Barron. This guy has an interesting career. Now, what is a line producer? Oh, I don't know. I've, I know. I, I do. I looked it up. Oh, good, good. What is a line producer, Anthony? It's basically the person who's responsible for staying on budget, for like responsible for, for tracking the expenditures. Oh, okay. On the movie. It's like the financial consultant, like advisor. Basically. That's probably really important on a movie like this when you have puppets which are hard to work with anyway and then also like so many effects that where things could go wrong and take a long time and go over time and over budget yeah 
Um, yeah, good job, David Barron. Uh, he had previously worked with Jim Henson on the storyteller Greek myths as a production supervisor. He was the production manager for The Princess Bride. And later he was a either a producer or executive producer on most of the Harry Potter movies and a bunch of stuff in recent years, including the live-action Disney Cinderella, which I have not seen, but I've heard that it's better than most of these other recent live-action remakes of Disney movies. I, I, I haven't seen that one either. Oh, okay. Well, folks out there, if you've seen it, tell us what you think of it and how how, how, how do, you, do you think uh, David Barron did as a producer on it? <laughs> uh, then there's one more credit that appears just briefly before this clip ends, and that is production designer Val Strazovec, I think. Sure. Uh, yeah. He So he's from uh, Czechoslovakia. He actually passed away not that long ago in 2020. He worked on several Muppet productions. Most of his IMDb credits are actually Muppet projects. Um, he was a production designer on The Muppets, A Celebration of 30 Years, Muppets Tonight, The Christmas Toy, uh, A Muppet Family Christmas, the Dog City episode of the Jim Henson Hour, which like... Which must have been so fun. Talk about excellent production design. Yeah. He just yeah. helped create an entire alternate universe occupied by dog gangsters right well didn't he didn't he win an emmy for that oh did he I, jim henson did for directing it did he also I think so let me see i'm gonna i'm gonna double check he deserved it uh uh no he did not he did win an emmy outstanding art direction for a variety or music program for the tony bennett episode of muppets tonight oh great yeah i'm trying to think what else happens in the tony bennett episode other than the tony bennett stuff well but there's a lot of like Sal wandering around outside in the rain and stuff. So maybe it's like that stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the, 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 the like city streets. Right. Stuff. Yeah. That's good stuff. Uh, he also worked. Plus, maybe he designed all those props. There's all this like Rigatoni Bennett and. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess. Sar- Sergeant Tony's Lonely Hearts Club gang and all that stuff. <laughs> I guess he would be involved in that. Yeah. Uh, he also worked on Mr. Willoughby's Christmas Tree, a Muppet Treasure Island, and he was a design consultant on Elmo in Grouchland. So he was obviously very good at creating worlds for Muppets to occupy. Awesome. He also, I noticed on IMDb, he worked on a 1999 movie I have never heard of called Must Be Santa, which featured <laughs> Anthony, one of your favorites, Dabney Coleman. Dabney Coleman is one of my favorites. Have you seen That's Must true. Be Santa? I have not. Does Dabney Coleman play Santa? Must Dabney Coleman um, be Santa? So the the synopsis in IMDb is, through a cosmic mix-up, a shiftless but good-hearted man is accidentally tagged to be the new Santa Claus after the old Santa dies. The gruff, no-nonsense manager of the North Pole is decidedly unhappy with the selection. So my sense is that Dabney Coleman is probably the gruff, no-nonsense manager of the North yeah, Pole. I'm sure he is. But I, I'm going to need you to scroll down and see who, who played previous Santa in that film, Ryan. Oh, I don't have it the, the IMDb page open right now. Oh, well, check it out. It was Jerry Parks. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Doc so himself. We should probably... We should probably watch Must Be Santa. We probably I mean, should. That'd be good. Yeah. That's great. So, yeah, uh, yeah that's that actually brings us to the end of this clip at last. So uh, I think that is actually all I have. Anthony, do you have any other notes or final no, thoughts? No, that's, that's definitely all I have okay. until next week. Great. Yes, and we <laughs> promise that future episodes will be shorter than this. Yeah, we'll be back to our regular shorter length, hopefully. Pretty soon, yeah. I'm just, 
I'm just so excited about Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah, it's a good one. So with that, we can wrap up for this week. Uh, wrap up, like wrapping a Christmas present. So make sure, everyone, that you check out toughpigs.com on the internet, Facebook, Twitter, and all of those things. Uh, we have a Patreon if you would like to support us and uh, help us keep on doing what we're doing. Uh, we love hearing from you. If you have thoughts on this episode, on this movie, on these minutes, on these credits, on these logos, feel free to drop by our Facebook page, Twitter, uh, or email us at movingrightalong at toughpigs.com. Let us know what's on your mind. Or uh, stop by the Tough Pigs forum, which is linked on the front page of the website. Um, you can find me on Twitter at me, Ryan Rowe, and on Letterboxd at Movies Are Neat. Anthony is on Letterboxd at Zeppo Marxist. And listeners also, if you don't mind, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that you can give us a positive review and tell your friends about the show. You know, there's, there, you know somebody who's not a huge Muppet fan, but they love this movie. So you know that they would enjoy this season of the podcast. So tell them about it. And join us again next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. Goodbye. Why isn't Wander McMooch in the opening credits? <laughs>